read, And David said, Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul, that I may show him kindness for, the sake, for Jonathan's sake? Now there was a servant of the house of Saul whose name was Ziba, and they called him to David, and the king said to him, Are you Ziba? And he said, I am your servant. And the king said, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show kindness of God to him? Ziba said to the king, There is still a son of Jonathan. He is crippled in his feet. The king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, He is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodbar. Then King David sent and brought him from the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, at Lodbar. And Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, son of Saul, came to David and fell on his face and paid homage. And David said, Mephibosheth, and he answered, Behold, I am your servant. And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father, Jonathan. And I will restore to you all the land of Saul, your father, and you shall eat at my table always. And he paid homage and said, What is your servant, that you should show regard for a dead dog such as I? As far as the reading of God's word. Well, brothers and sisters, money requires power. Power requires money in our culture. It takes money to get into a place of power. For instance, in politics, the Democrats and the Republicans spent $11 billion in the 2020 election campaign. And increasingly, it seems like power is something you have to be born into. Well, Mephibosheth was a person who was born into power, a place of power. He was a prince, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul. But then one day he lost that power, and he became a cripple. He became dependent on the charity of those around him in order to survive, and he became one of the lowest members of society. He was living at someone else's house. He was even trying to avoid the spotlight by living on the other side of the Jordan River. He was trying to, to keep his head down, it seems, and maybe hope that he would be forgotten by the new King David. But he's not forgotten, and instead David seeks him out. And David seeks him out because he is faithful beyond the end, and that's the title for this sermon. And first of all, we see that there's a faithful question asked by David. So by the end of this chapter, Mephibosheth is given a seat at the table of the king. He's treated as, as royalty. But at the start of this chapter, he's a poor refugee living in hiding. And the change in his status comes about not because of anything he has done, but because David is faithful to the promise and the covenant that he made with his father, Jonathan. We, you can read in 1 Samuel chapter 20 about the promise and the covenant that Jonathan and David made together. And there, David promised to be faithful to the children and the, the line of Jonathan so that it would not die out. And this is 
proven true in our passage. And this covenant that they make, it goes directly against the common practice in the ancient world. If you want to stay in power, you have to take out your rivals. It was common in the ancient world for kings to wipe out entire families of possible opponents, potential rivals. And so in this situation, anyone connected to Saul, the former dynasty, would have been a potential rival to David's reign and therefore have a target on their back. Moreover, after all that David had suffered at the hands of Saul, it would have been understandable and maybe even expected for David to, to seek revenge, to overlook the promise that he had made now that Jonathan was also dead. And yet David remains faithful to the covenant that he has made. He seeks out a surviving relative. And this wouldn't have been an easy task. Previously in 2 Samuel, we're, we're told of the death of Saul and, and Jonathan in chapter 1. And then in chapter 2, we're told that 360 members of Saul's household, which would have included servants, were put to death. And then we're told of the death of Abner, a relative of Saul, in chapter 3, and another son of Saul in chapter 4. And with all that, that death within the dynasty, it makes sense that David, in verse 1, would have wondered who was left within, within Saul's household. Was anyone still alive, or had the family line died out by this point? And so look at what he says in verse 1. Is there still anyone left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? And that's the faithful question that David asks. That word, kindness, refers to a faithful love built on a covenant. It's often translated as steadfast love when it, refer, when it describes God's relationship with his people. And so David is showing that even as a king, he will be faithful to the covenant that he has made. The covenant that he made with Jonathan. And this shows something of the very character of God to the people of God through David. And King David's faithfulness, it motivates him to, to bring Ziba to the palace. In verses 2 and 3, David, or we're told that there was a servant of the house of Saul named Ziba, and he comes before the king, and the king asks him, Are you Ziba? And he says, I am your servant. And then David once again asks the same question, is there anyone of the household of Saul that he can show kindness to? He says, he calls it the kindness of God here. And Ziba responds by saying, well, yeah, there is one son of Jonathan. Um, he's a cripple in both of his feet. And Ziba's reply in lifting up a cripple would have been a bit surprising, but also pleasing to David. Yes, there is someone, a son of Jonathan, but the only catch is that the man is a cripple in both feet. And basically, every time Mephibosheth is mentioned, he's mentioned as a cripple. It's like he's more known for his feet than who his father and his grandfather were. In chapter 4, we're 
who is trying to escape. We don't know exactly how severe the injury was. It does seem like he was able to walk. He's able to, to bow later on in the story. But it's clear that it made traveling around very difficult for him. And this is the man that Ziba mentions. The guy with crippled feet. He could have mentioned other relatives of Saul. Saul had other sons and probably grandsons available that um, David could have used to preserve the line. And as, but perhaps he's not completely convinced that David has pure motives in this. And he thinks that the king is actually trying to find and, and kill his potential rivals. Maybe he thinks the, the offer of this son of Jonathan is a good way to hedge his bets because if David's dynasty collapsed and Saul's dynasty rises up again, well, it was just a cripple, no one really important. In any case, by mentioning Mephibosheth, the, the cripple, he outs someone who is essentially a beggar and hardly a threat to the king. Verse 4 says that Mephibosheth is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel at Lodabar. And Lodabar literally means not a place. It's the middle of nowhere. After Saul's death, he's, he's brought to this town. And he, sorry, after Saul's death, they flee to this town. And that's where Mephibosheth and this nurse wind up and live. And they're living in hiding, it seems. He's hiding in the same area David would later flee to when Absalom rises up and led a rebellion against him. And as a cripple, he's relying on the charity of the son of Machir, the son or the, of Machir, the son of Amiel. We know that he lost all of his grandfather's possessions that had been taken away. So he's solely relying on charity here. And yet in offering up the cripple, Ziba gives David the, the perfect way to show his faithfulness and the faithfulness of the Lord. David shows the faithfulness to the covenant he made with Jonathan. This is a man who would never be able to repay David for the love and the grace that he was about to show him. And then there is also a faithful action here. And David's faithfulness in this chapter has led many to say that this is David at his height, at his best moment. He's living as the man after God's own heart. He's following the covenant-making and covenant-keeping God's example. And so David, he follows through on what he set out to do. He doesn't change his mind. He doesn't let present circumstances change his commitment to the covenant. And now he has the opportunity to show love and grace to the son of Jonathan. I wonder what would have gone through the mind of Mephibosheth when, when the soldiers arrive, when they try to bring him to David. Would you be thinking my grandfather's enemy has finally caught me, or my father's friend has finally found me? He was only five years old when his father died, after all. And I don't know, do you ever have it where 
someone comes up to you and says, hey, Pete, I need to talk to you for a moment, and you just kind of get a sinking feeling within your gut, like, uh-oh, this can't be good. Well, even if the soldiers who, who came for him told him that the king wanted to show faithfulness and love towards him, surely he must have had doubts in his mind about what was going to happen. It would have been a nerve-wracking journey for him. And so we can picture Mephibosheth trembling in fear as he fell on his face and paid homage to the king. Ziba, the royal steward, didn't feel the the need to bow before the king, but Mephibosheth, the crippled man, with considerable difficulty and pain, falls to his knees before the king, almost certainly fearful that he might not rise again. The king had finally found him, and yet the faithfulness of, of David proved that he had no need to hide in the first place. David's covenant guaranteed his safety. David was seeking the son of Jonathan not to slay him, but to bless him, not to expose him for his weaknesses and and defects, but to safeguard him. And in these faithful actions of David, we see a reflection of God's faithfulness to sinners. When our first parents, Adam and Eve, when they fell into sin, what was their reaction? Well, they ran away and hid in shame. We're told they heard the sound of the Lord God walking in the garden and hid. Yet God, he sought them out. He sought the couple out as they were trembling and afraid in the garden so that he could show his love and grace to them. And he made a covenant with them. And he promised them that one day a son would come and he would crush the head of the serpent that had led them astray. He gave them a greater sense of security despite the weaknesses that they showed, despite the defects that they had. He set out to seek and save the lost, to show grace and mercy to the children of Adam and Eve, and he did so by having Christ crucified on a cross. And because of Christ's faithfulness, brothers and sisters, you can be filled with hope. Because of Christ's faithfulness, we do not have to hide from our faithful God. Because of Christ's faithfulness, we have received grace beyond measure and been granted a security we could never have on our own. And so there is hope for the ruined and crippled. There are hope for the downcast. There are hope for the lonely. There is hope for the ruined. There is hope of pardon, hope of peace with God. And more than that, we have hope of glory. Look with me at verses 6 and 7. And there it says, or sorry, verse 7, And David said to him, Do not fear, for I will show you kindness for the sake of your father Jonathan, and I will restore to you all the land of Saul your father. And you shall eat at my table always. Here there's a change of tone that's brought out in the text, not just by the king saying, do not fear, but 
in David's very reaction, King David sees the crippled man bow before him, and he cries out, Mephibosheth. He sees the son of, of a friend who is closer than a brother. His, his, we could call it a, a soulmate almost, his brother Jonathan. And he's moved by that. And the narrator himself, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, seems to pick up on that. He, he's been referring to David either as the king or King David in his dialogues with Ziba. And now he uses a less formal tone. He just says, David said to him, the, the personal name, no title. And that emphasizes the love that he is about to show towards Mephibosheth. And verse 7 is the centerpiece or, or hinge of this passage. Do not fear, for I will show you kindness, faithful love. I will be faithful even after your father's death. And so David, he welcomes this cripple into his entourage. David first reassures him that he has nothing to fear, not on account of anything in Mephibosheth, but simply on account of David's faithfulness, his faithfulness to the covenant that he has made. And then David gives, shows him even more grace he restores the land of his grandfather Saul. He gives all that land back to Mephibosheth. This would have made him a, a very rich man. He's now going from, from rags to riches, from being dependent on the generosity of Makir to, to having an entire estate to call his own. And David ensures that the son of Jonathan will have everything that he need, is in need of. He brings back Ziba in verse 9 and tells him that he, his sons, and his 20 servants now work for Mephibosheth. There's always going to be skilled workers capable of, of working his land and managing the possessions that he's been given. The most impressive is that David's faithful love leads him to give Jonathan's son the privilege of eating at the king's table. One of the greatest privileges that you could have was to be seated with the king, to eat with him. It was a place of influence and power. It was reserved for those in a close relationship with the king or honored, honored guests. And so he eats with the king even as David's own son, sons did. And this is also what Christ has done for us. He has given us this privilege. In Luke 14, Jesus tells the story of, of a man who held a great banquet and invited all these rich guests, but they refused to come. So instead, the man sent his servants out onto the streets, and they brought in all the lame, all the poor, all the crippled. He brought in all those men and women who could never repay him for the grace he was showing them. And he seats them at his table. And that's a picture of also what we experience every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper. Every time we celebrate the Lord's Supper, Christ invites us to, to be seated at his table. And looking forward in time, the day of the great wedding feast of the Lamb, when Christ has us seated at his table and welcomed us as, as brothers, 
we react to such grace, to such faithful love? Well, Mephibosheth gives us an example of a faithful reaction. He doesn't say, oh good, it's about time someone recognized my proper place as a prince. He didn't bring up the fact that his grandfather had been king. No, in verse 8 he says, who am I? What is your servant that you should show regard? Early turn your face towards a dead dog such as I. What use is a dead dog to a king? Well, the faithful love of God's king is astonishing. And how much more so isn't the faithful love that Christ has shown? The great king. We are dead dogs who've been shown grace. We read, as Paul said, Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being might boast in the presence of God. Because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption, so that as it is written, that the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Well, brothers and sisters, look at what you were and even still are in the eyes of the world. You were nothing. You were like a dead dog. You were of no use. But Christ, he comes to rescue the dead dogs and bring them to new life. He comes to have communion with them now. And so if any of us should boast about anything, it should be boasting in the Lord. The faithful love of God shown towards the weak and shameful Corinthians wasn't an obstacle for God. He chose them so that he would be most glorified by them. He loves with an unconditional love. His faithfulness brings him to approach us in our sins as dead dogs. Instead of treating us as dead dogs, he welcomes us into his home. He welcomes cripples to sit at his table. He welcomes them as sons and daughters. How can we respond to such love? How can we respond to such faithfulness on God's part as he keeps the covenant that he makes with us despite the sins that remain within us and that we turn back to so often? How can we respond to the immeasurable grace that is shown to us who deserve nothing but death? But the one who boasts, boasts in the Lord. Because it's in the Lord alone that we have comfort. It's in the Lord alone that 
grace. About ourselves, all we can say is, I am one with crippled feet. I am a dead dog. Who am I that you, my king, would love and die 